writes this psalm and he states that he will take refuge in God until the calamities are gone. He knows that God has a way out for him, but do you and I know that? Or are we too busy just seeing as far as our nose? I mean, we're in the midst of a problem, a situation, a circumstance, and we're like, man, this really stinks. I really hate it. I don't see any way out. It's going to be here tomorrow, and it may be. But do you know that God has a way out for you? I mean, we ever thought to throw God into the equation? to factor him in like we talked about last week. Do you take refuge and find strength in the Lord? In today's message from Pastor Mark, he teaches that when you are in the midst of a problem, God is willing and able to help you. You don't need to figure out a way out of your problem by yourself. God will give you a way out if you turn to Him and ask. Oftentimes, when we are in the thick of our trials, we can forget that we have a God who loves and cares for us. Remember that God is for you in the midst of your trials. Turn to Him in prayer and ask that He would help you find a way out and that He would be your source of strength. He is faithful to help you in your times of need. Well, let's join Pastor Mark in the book of 2 Samuel chapter 23 for today's edition of Come Alive. I open my eyes and I'm looking at him like, did he steal something out of my notebook, out of my backpack? How's he got this information? And he just kept praying. It was just so long. And I remember I was just like, man, I'm about to cry. I don't, Lord, you love me. Thank you. And I just needed that. I needed to know that God was still there, that he still cared. He used a, a natural person a, a, to do a supernatural thing in my life. And when we were done praying, I just stood up and I looked at him. I'm like, you don't even know what happened. And he just smiled. He goes, I know. And he hugged me. And I, I didn't see him anymore after that. The next year, I walked by him and I'm like, hey. And he goes, so how's it working out? He remembered me. And I'm like, yeah, man, that, that's got to be the Lord. And so we've been friends since then. And so just talking to him, and one of the things he said, he said, Yesterday, it was an amazing message that he spoke. He said, you know, when he was young, he was serving God. He had wrote this song, doing all this stuff, and he'd wake up every morning, Lord, how can I serve you today? And he wept when he told this story. He said he heard from God. He heard God say, you're fired. You're fired. You're no longer my servant. You're fired. And he was weeping. He's like, Lord, what do you mean I'm fired? I just want to serve you. I just want to do these things. He's like, you're fired. You're fired, Holland. He's like, Lord, what do I do? What do I need to do to fix this? I don't want to be fired. He's like, you're no longer my servant. And he took him to a verse and it says where it says we're friends of God. God doesn't want just servant. He doesn't, it really, does God need a servant? He created the world. And he hung the stars and all these things. And you see all that crazy stuff out there in the galaxies. God does all these awesome things. And it's like, really? I want to be your servant? That's like my son saying, dad, I want to be your servant. I understand what he's saying. And God understands what Holland was saying and what we say when we say that. And not that it's wrong to say that, but he's like, hey, you're my sons and daughters. You're grafted in. My son will never be a servant. Like He'll be a servant in a sense, but not to me. He'll be, always be my son. He will always have a special privilege of a son and not a servant like my employees. He will have those privileges that a son has. And my daughter will have those special privileges as well. 
And so there are too many words that are void. And God says, hey, you know what? As sons and daughters, you don't need to be saying these crazy things that mean nothing. So he'll use your mouth for ministry. Just like he used my friend's mouth for ministry. Like he'll use your mouth someday for a Bible study that will minister to people. And so we can also note that David marvels that God put him in a place of privilege. He also marvels that people took direction from him and that God spoke through him and that his life had been a ministry or given for ministry. See, David's like, God, I can't believe you used me. The giant. Oh, man, I remember when I was like 14 or 15, I was just taking some cheese and some bread to my brothers. And there's this giant down there in a valley. And the whole army of Israel's just like, you go. No, I'm not going. No, you go. Well, somebody needs to go. Where's the king? He's scared too. And here comes this 14 or 15-year-old kid, shows up, says, who is this? Making fun of my God. And, and man, he just starts going off. And so the giant, he, he conquers a giant. He goes through battles and the victories. And he says, God, you kept me from killing Saul. I was in the cave and you brought Saul right to me. And all my guys were like, kill him, David, kill him. He's right there, kill him. But David didn't do it. He wouldn't touch God's anointed. And then it says, he shall be like the light of the morning. David reflects on how a wise ruler is blessed when he rules with justice. Though David's reign was not perfect, it was blessed. His reign was the most identified reign. And with all the kings, he's the only one that's identified with the Messiah. The only one. And from one perspective, David's reign was a disaster when you think about it. He suffered from a dark scandal during his reign. He suffered under repeated family crises, under attempted insurrection from his own son, and under another civil war, and then from three years of famine. It wasn't wasn't an easy life. The Bible doesn't guarantee one, you know, and it's crazy. Man, let me just tell you, anybody tells you that Christianity is going to make your life a lot easier, look at them and run. Just say, hey, man, I appreciate it. Look, a grizzly bear, and then take off, because that's nuts. It doesn't, it, it's hard, but there's that underlying joy. That's what, that's what we need to let you know about. There's an underlying joy. The circumstances of life are rough. They're going to rise up. They're going to kick you in the face. They're going to be giants. There's going to be battles. There's going to be famines. There going to be those times where you're like, man, I don't know where I'm going to get the next penny so I can feed my family. But God will be there. And he says, I'll provide for you. Just trust in me. See, from one perspective, again, David's reign was that big disaster. But on another hand, there was the blessing. And we've all been watching David in the early years from about 14 or 15. He had that zeal. He had that incredible faith like Abraham where he meets a giant and he battles the giant and he wins. And then about 20 or so, he's on his roof. And then he has the lust of Samson when he sees Bathsheba. And then he winds up blowing it and taking the life of a friend, a fellow servant. He kills her husband. And then he's now in this middle life crisis at some point. And if you will, turn to 1 Samuel chapter 21, and we'll look at his middle life crisis. 1 Samuel chapter 21. We'll pick up in verse 10. It says, Then David arose, and he fled that day from before Saul, and he went to Achish, the king of Gath. And the servants of Achish said to him, Is this not David, the king of the land? Did they not sing of him to one another in dances, saying, Saul has slain his thousands, and David his ten thousands? Now David took these words to heart. And was very much afraid of Achish, the king of Gath. So he changed his behavior before them, and he pretended madness in their hands. He scratched on the doors of the gate and let his saliva fall down on his beard. Then Achish said to his servants, Look, you see, the man is insane. Why have you brought him to me? Have I need of a madman that you have brought this fellow to play the madman in my presence? Shall this fellow come to my house? 
David therefore departed from there and escaped to the cave of Adullam. So when his brothers and all his father's house heard of it, they went down there to him. And everyone who was in distress, everyone who was in debt, and everyone who was discontented gathered to him. So he became the captain over them. And there were about 400 men with him. And then David went from there to Mizpah of Moab, and he said to the king of Moab, Please let my father and my mother come here with you till I know what God will do for me. So he brought them before the king of Moab, and they dwelt with him all the time that David was in the stronghold. And so when you're looking at that, you're like, okay, so David's blown away by the way when he's writing here in 2 Samuel chapter 23, and he's completely blown away how God had used him, and he reflects on all of this stuff that took place in his life as he's an old man. He's in the last quarter. He's in the last 10 yards of life, so to speak. This is it. He starts to reflect on all this stuff, and he remembers the fear he had of Saul in chapter 21. He's like, man, yeah, I remember chapter 21. I was afraid of Saul back then. And I remember I was going to Achish to get this sword, and then all of a sudden, you know, I'm here, and I get afraid. And so I start acting crazy and drooling. I remember that. And they made fun of me. They doubted all my victories that I had. So I ran to the cave of Adullam, and that's where I went. Now, just real quick, that word Adullam in Hebrew means testimony. So he ran to the cave of testimony. And he says, and word got out. And who shows up there? Well, my family. Uh, they came. My family came. And, and then 400 in debt, discontented, distressed guys, dudes, show up. And, and Lord, you made me captain of this bunch of crazies. And, and then his mom and dad are there. And so David, the giant killer, is now in a cave. And now this cave is in Adullam. And again, if you want to, circle that word and just write testimony out next to the side of it. Testimony is what it means in Hebrew. And so this cave, this cave that David's in right now, this cave would be the turning point of his life. He he would change in this place. And, And let me say this. I want to say that about these Bible studies. When you show up here, that this would be the place that you change. Because, I mean... That, that's my prayer. If you think about who goes into a cave to change, when you really think about it, who goes into a cave to change? I mean, when, when you want to change something about yourself, is your first thought, I want to run to a cave or I want to run to a warehouse? And you think about where we meet. We meet in a warehouse. But, but hopefully this would be the place that people would change. You know, you show up to work and some guy's like, Hey, you know, hey, Bubba, what's going on? What happened? You seem different. You seem different than you were on Friday. Yeah, I changed. You changed where? At a warehouse in Katy. What? A warehouse? Katy? I mean, what happened there? And then you get an opportunity to share what happened to you. Oh, this is what happened. I've been going to this church. Or maybe I've been going to a Bible study. Or maybe I read something in the scriptures and I changed. It doesn't matter. Where did you change? At the coffee table, the dinner table. Where did I change? I got saved inside of my Jeep, challenging God. If you're real, prove it. I was an atheist. Many who claim to be Christians wear a mask. They act like, well, they've got their act together. Oh, everything's okay. Hey, life's great. And really, they don't represent it the way they should. Because the way they act and the way they, and what they do when they're not at church or when they're not around Christians, well, and then sometimes we're embarrassed by something maybe we've done, something we're, we're feigning the behavior. We don't like what we've done. It's really not of ourselves. And we feel really guilty. We feel really dumb. And now we find ourselves in this cave We're in this cave, and it's dark, and it's cold, and it doesn't smell so well, and we're hoping that a miracle will happen in our lives. Lord, just bring a miracle. I know I did this, but I need a miracle right now. Please, Lord, 
But if you go and you read Psalm 57, just take note. You don't have to turn there. But Psalm 57, you're going to notice that it begins and it ends with God. And David wrote this psalm at this point in chapter 21 when he's in this cave, when life's not great. And so it begins and it ends with God. But, you know, he writes this and all these miserable men are around him. And here's what David does. And here's how he changes. Go back to chapter 23 of uh, 2 Samuel. David gets alone with God while he's in this cave. If you want to turn to Psalm 57, you can, but you don't have to. He, while he's writing this, it tells us that he gets alone with God. And he writes this psalm and he states that he will take refuge in God until the calamities are gone. He knows that God has a way out for him. But do you and I know that? Or are we too busy just seeing as far as our nose? I mean, we're in the midst of a problem, a situation, a circumstance, and we're like, man, this really stinks. I really hate it. I don't see any way out. It's going to be here tomorrow, and it may be. But do you know that God has a way out for you? I mean, we ever thought to throw God into the equation, to factor him in like we talked about last week, and say, hey, you know, because I've heard people often say, well, you know, I guess my last thing to do is just to pray. As Christians, that should be our first thing. You think about Moses, somebody would walk up to him with a problem, Dude, that had to be the craziest thing to see that dude. I mean, I just, I just want to go back so I can see a bunch of guys wearing long dresses. But most part, you see Moses standing there, this guy, and you go up and you're like, hey, Moses, I have a problem. And he falls on the ground. You're just like, dude, are you dead? Are you all right? And he just starts praying. He doesn't go, well, you know, I had that same problem the other day. And, you know, I went down to the store and I bought some athlete's foot medicine. You know, he prayed. He just fell on the ground. He'd start praying. He didn't come up with a solution on his own. He's like, Lord, God, you know, what do I need to do? And and he'd seek the Lord and his problems and his struggles. And he would just get on his face and go to the Lord. And so David knows that his God has a way out for him. He has that for you. For you and I, he has that. It may not come fast, but it'll come. And David returns and he says, hey, guys, man, I I, I just want to tell you. And, you know, I sent my mom and dad to the king of Moab because I didn't need a distraction. I didn't need them. Hey, David, you need to do this. Here's a bangle. Want a bangle? And they're like, no, I, I don't need that distraction. So I sent them away. And here's what I did. I walked over here and I just got alone with God. And I said, God, here I am. Uh, here's the situation that I am. Don't just change me. So what does God do? He says, you know, I just spent some time with the Lord and I'm ready to face my adversary and my enemies. Notice that David says, I'm ready to face my adversary and my enemies. Not that, hey guys, Lord, hold on. Let me check and see if the guys are going to back me up. Because if they don't back me up, I'm not going to do this alone. He says, I'm ready to face my enemies and my adversaries. I'm ready to go for it. And if you guys don't want to go, cool, man, I'm going. Because with me and God, that's a majority. What more do you need? Because he knows he could do it. He's like, look what I did. I knocked down Goliath. And the whole army of the Philistines took off running. I was 14 or 15 at that time. I bet God just said, hey, Dave, come here, buddy. I love you. You know, when your sons and your daughters are having that tough time, you're like, hey, come here, buddy. My son, I have to do that constantly sometimes. He just has a rough time. He doesn't see any way out. It's too hard. It's too big. It's too crazy. I don't know what five plus five is, dad. And that's a very big issue for him as a seven-year-old. It'd be different if he's 21. I'd be like, you better snap out of that. But as a seven-year-old, reading words like time and Tim when they're together are just like, oh, Dad, this is way too hard. I'm going to blow up. My head can't handle it. Come here, buddy. Let me, let me just tell you this. Remember yesterday you struggled with the word as? Yeah. And you sounded it out so well. Yeah, Dad. High five on that, buddy. 
Let me hug you. You did good on it. Now, this is the same thing. It's just going to get harder tomorrow, too. It is, Dad. It's going to get harder tomorrow. Yeah, it's going to get a little tougher tomorrow because we got some big words coming up. Like what? Before. What? Are you serious? Don't get mad. We're going to be here for you. We're going to help you break it down into little pieces, and we're going to walk you through this until you're, you're reading the whole book. And the other day, he was so stoked. He read five chapters. Dad, I read five chapters. I read five chapters. You just give him that little hug, and you're like, good, buddy, good. I think that's what God did with David. He's like, hey, look, remember, remember the giant? But before that, remember the bear? And, and before the bear, remember the lion? Yeah, yeah, I, I remember. Well, hey, bro, tomorrow it's going to be harder. Yeah, there's a big army out there, and they're waiting to kill you, but I, I'm here. I'm going to walk you through it. We're going to break it down into little pieces, and you're going to come out on the other side victorious. You're going to be the winner. And so not only does he glorify God and begin to guide men as he got alone with God, but in what we read today, he also guides us. But not only that, it's these discontent, distressed, in-debt people who look at this transformation and they see it and they begin to well up and they're like, hey man, if that guy can do it, so can we. Because next week we're going to read about these mighty men and the things that they've done. And you're going to be like, what? A dude chased a lion on a snowy day into a pit? You got to ask yourself, what would make you do that? And one guy with one sword killing 800 people in a day? What makes you do that? I mean, you got to think about how heavy a sword is. I have one at home and I don't think it's as heavy as these. But to lift that thing, I tried to lift it 100 times. My arm was so sore. And then the guy where it says his hand could come off the sword, I know what that is. I've cut grass before with a machete all day long out in the heat, and you're tired, and you go from 8 o'clock in the morning to 8 o'clock at night, and you're trying to put something down in your hands like, no, I'm hanging on, I'm stuck. And I'm like, guys, can you guys help me? My, my guys that work with me are peeling my hands, and I'm like screaming because it hurt, because the muscles are contracted. And we see that this transformation of these miserable men, I mean, because if there wasn't a transformation, if they didn't, it would have never happened. They would have never been great. See, whatever you're going through, that hard situation, know this, it can change. It can change. It can be different. Through his mercy, things can change. David starts out good, and then he blows it by hooking up with Bathsheba, and then all of a sudden, David murders her husband, and David runs to Achish, and on and on it goes, but it's not until he gets along with God, he spends that time with God, and the more time he spends with God, the more he begins to change. And the more he begins to change, the more he wants to spend time with God. And the more time he spends with God, the more he begins to change, and he starts to grow, and he starts to grow. Do you see how that works? The, the more time my son spends reading, he's going to be able to one day read a novel and not Dr. Seuss. I, I can't stand that guy. I don't even know if he's a real doctor, some of the things he says. <laughs> I know he's not a doc, medical doctor. But anyway, the more God changes and, and changes David's life, the more time he spends with God. See, they, they weren't always the mighty men. They were always the miserable guys, the depressed, the distressed, the in-debt dudes, if you want to call them that. They've been the miserable men. So here's what I think the Lord wants me to say. If this church has become your refuge, I can totally appreciate the opportunity you take for Bible study. Or maybe if fellowship is something you really enjoy and you really look forward to, and after church you're just like, oh, I just can't wait to go hang out with my buds and my friends. We're going to have lunch. Well, I respect that and admire that. But if you, at all this week, have not gotten alone with God and spent some intimate time with him, let me just tell you this, and I'll say it to the guys first. Bros that are in church or church, 
I'm afraid that and would be really concerned because here's the deal. The transformation you're hoping for will not take place. It won't take place if you have not got alone with God. If you think this is going to change you, it's not. It's a warehouse. And let me just tell you, the people you're going to go to lunch with, uh, because the answers aren't found in the fellowship with the rest of the discontent. Some of us are discontent, and you're not going to find answers there. It's you got to get alone with God. It's God. You got to have that vertical relationship first before that horizontal one to take place. So if you're looking to the church for refuge, no. You just got to get alone. So alone with God so that he becomes your everything. So instead of, woe is me, Lord, woe is me, it's like, whoa, Lord, wow, we, what an amazing transformation. And it'll be amazing, so amazing that it becomes the witness to others. And other people will be like, man, that guy, that girl, man, they were so puckered up and bitter and pruned up and just angry. And then like all of a sudden, what happened over the weekend? What drugs are you taking? Hey, man, I got alone with God. Where? In a warehouse. In a warehouse? Yeah. Or at my dining room table or in my backyard or on a swing at the park or just on a walk or in the car in traffic. I just spent some time with God and I just quit talking and griping and complaining. And I said, hey, I'm willing to listen. What do you got for me? And when he started to unfold his plan for me, I began to go, oh, Lord, wow, you do care. I'm not just a servant. I'm, I'm one of your children. Think about how you treat your kids or when they get alone with you, those talks that you give to them, that guide them and direct them through life. I mean, why would, if God says, call me father, why would a parent mislead their kid? He loves us. He loves us so much that he sent his own son to die for you and I. He gave up his own son for you and I. How many of you would give up your kid to die for your best friend, your mom, your dad? Not me. Oh, well, you're selfish. You bet. Not me. I love my mom. I love my friends, but not that much. I'd be willing to die for my son, but never, never would I let him die for anyone. So God says, you know what? That's how much I love you. I've just proven that I love you way more than you'll ever be able to love anyone or anything but you can change. Your situation, it might be the same, but you'll change and I'll change you if you just let me. That's all he's asking for is a chance. Give him a chance. So often we just let stuff crowd him out. We don't want to listen. And so today we have communion. We celebrate communion. Why do we do communion? Because he says, remember me. Remember what? Remember that I died for you on the cross, that my dad allowed me to be that sacrifice for your sin, for you blowing it. Some of us might not be able to wrap our heads around that, and that's okay. He's like, I'm cool with that. Spend some time with me. I'll teach it to you. Uh, I don't have that much time. Give me what you got. Because once you meet with God, you'll be like, man, I want to hang out with you forever. I want to be your friend. I want to be your son, your daughter. The book of 2 Samuel continues the story of David, the second king of the nation of Israel. From his ascension to the throne, to his battlefield victories, to his sins and failures, God continually describes David as a man after his own heart. This distinction reminds us that though we fail, our God still delights in having us a part of his family. We can bring our sins to him in an attitude of repentance, knowing he offers us grace anew for each morning. We'd love to pray for you and encourage you in your journey of faith. So please give us a call. Let us know how you heard about Come Alive and feel free to ask us any questions you have and we'll do our best to answer. Call us at 281-391-5503. Do you live in or are you visiting the Katy area? If so, we want to meet you. 
Here's Tracy with more information. Calvary Chapel Katy is a great group of Jesus followers who are ready and waiting to welcome you into our family. We'll make sure you find a friendly smile and a listening ear. We genuinely want to get to know you. Come and see us on Sunday at 10 a.m. or find out more about our men's and women's Bible studies. Give us a call with any questions and to get directions. Our phone number is 281-391-5503. See you there. Thanks, Tracy. Tune in again for more from 2 Samuel right here on Come Alive.